Welcome to Graceland and our journey into the life behind the legend of Elvis Presley. If my voice sounds okay, stop your tape now and your shuttle driver will let you know when to turn it back on. If I don't sound right, stop your tape and tell one of the Graceland staff. It all started with the dreams of a poor young boy in Tupelo, Mississippi. He dreamed of a better life, of music and wealth, and a fine home for himself and his family after so many years of struggle and hardship. In 1957, when he was only 22 years old, those dreams were coming true for Elvis, and one dream close to his heart was Graceland. From the spring of 1957, when he moved in, until August of 1977, when he passed away, Graceland was the home and the refuge of Elvis Aaron Presley, the king of rock and roll. Welcome to my world. Won't you come on in? For the family and friends who spent so much time here with Elvis, Graceland holds many memories. His former wife Priscilla remembers how important it was in his life. Graceland meant everything to Elvis. He was so proud of this house that he would meet his guests at the door and take them through the rooms one by one, telling stories along the way. Around here, we say that Elvis was the original tour guide. Graceland was not only the symbol of his success, it was his sanctuary, the only place he was really comfortable except on stage, away from the media and the crowds that always followed him. He could be himself. As soon as a movie or concert tour was over, Elvis headed straight home to Graceland. We'll begin our tour in a few moments. I'll be taking you through the house and the grounds until the end of the tour when you'll return to the driveway and the shuttle that'll take you back down the hill to the plaza. If you ever need more time to get from room to room or if you want to ask one of the Graceland guides a question, feel free to stop your tape. Then, start it up when you're ready to continue. Now, before you leave the shuttle, turn off your tape. One of the Graceland guides will let you know when to turn it back on. As you walk in the front door, turn to your right to the living room. Please step up as close to the ropes as you can to see better and make room for your fellow guests. The living room is decorated in classic 60s style, and like many southern living rooms, it's the most formal room in the house. The photographs on your left show Elvis and his parents as they looked when they moved to Graceland in 1957. On your right is a portrait of Elvis's father, Vernon a present from Vernon to his son on Elvis's last Christmas in 1976. Elvis redecorated in the 1970s, adding the stained glass peacocks on the far wall. Just beyond them is one of Graceland's busiest rooms, Elvis's music room. Elvis lived and breathed music. It was everything to him from the time he was very, very young. When he had the urge to sing, or even times when he was down, he would go to this music room and start playing the piano. And whoever was there, they'd end up singing too. He'd start out doing all kinds of songs, but he'd always end up with gospel. We'd spend hours and hours jamming around the piano. Elvis would play and sing and joke around, and he laughed a lot. His laughter was so contagious, pretty soon everybody would be laughing, whether they knew why or not. <laughs> now please turn around to the hallway. We're about to see Elvis's parents' bedroom. To get there, walk along the staircase, down the hall, to the open door on the right. 
remember to step in as far up to the rope as possible. Elvis had a very strong bond with his parents, and providing for them was a big part of his dream of success. This was Vernon and Gladys Presley's bedroom in 1957 and 1958, until Gladys passed away. What song first, Mr. Presley, uh, is your favorite that Elvis has recorded? Well, sir, it's a pretty hard to say. First one was uh, All Right Little. Next one would be, uh, oh, well, Hound Dog and several others. I can't remember. See, do you have a favorite, Miss Presley? Baby's Playhouse. Well, that's a good one. That is and a... uh, Don't Be Cruel. That's my two favorites. <laughs> don't Be Cruel, yeah, that's a good song. A very it's good song. Like it's I said, there's so many of them, I can't remember the name. Later, this room was used by Elvis's grandmother, Minnie Mae Presley, whom he adored, and then by his aunt, Delta Presley. It has been faithfully restored to its 1950s decor. The white chess, dresser, and night tables were used by Elvis's parents, as well as by the later occupants of this room. The velvet headboard of the bed has its original upholstery in purple, one of Gladys's favorite colors. The matching bedspread and draperies have been recreated for the tour. To your immediate left is the bathroom, with its original 1950s lavender fixtures and tile. Now please turn around and retrace your steps to the front hall. From there, we'll enter the dining room. When you get there, please remember to move in as far up to the ropes as possible. Elvis always sat at the far end of the table, facing this way. There, he could lead the dinner conversation and still keep an eye on the TV to your left one of 14 television sets in the house. Gathered around, you'd find family, guests, and his close-knit group of buddies, all sharing a hearty home-cooked meal. This inner circle, made up of old friends and relatives, was often called the Memphis Mafia and numbered up to 14 men. A few actually lived at Graceland, and for the rest, it was their second home. Returning from weeks on the road or months in Hollywood, they would join Elvis here for his favorite meal of the moment, often southern classics like pork chops, collard greens, black-eyed peas, and mashed potatoes. We always ate dinner late, around 9.30 or so, and as I look back, those were great times. Everybody laughing and telling jokes. I always had to have candles on the table and the sideboards for a little romance. And believe me, trying to create romance with a so-called Memphis Mafia was quite a feat. We dressed for dinner in full attire. I would be in formal gowns and sequins, and Elvis wore his three-piece suits with brocade vests. Elvis loved to dress up. He loved the ritual of getting dressed and going out because he wanted to present himself in a way that showed how far he'd come. Now let's follow the walkway along the ropes to your right, through the doorway, and into the kitchen. Please remember to go as far into the kitchen as possible to make room for other guests. The kitchen was the heart of Graceland, and with three cooks on staff, something was always brewing. Like a lot of entertainers, Elvis was a night person, so he usually woke up for breakfast around four in the afternoon. But with so many people around, the kitchen got a real workout all through the day. The kitchen was where everyone congregated during the day, sitting around telling stories. I can still see Elvis's father, Vernon, coming in the back door to see what the cooks were making that day. Southern-style home cooking was the menu here at Graceland, but variety wasn't always what Elvis was looking for. One time it was meatloaf. Meatloaf every single night for six months. 
After a while, I had to ask the cooks to please make something different for the rest of us. Our next stop is the basement. The staircase is lined with mirrors, so please hold on to the handrail. Turn off your tape until you reach the basement, and at the bottom of the stairs, start it up again. At the bottom of the stairs, go to the left into the bright yellow and navy blue TV room. Please step in as close to the ropes as you can. The wall straight ahead is a complete entertainment center. Elvis got the idea for three TVs when he heard that President Lyndon Johnson used to watch all three network news shows at the same time. But Elvis often tuned in to three football games. He also kept up with the news and liked to watch situation comedies, variety shows, and dramatic programs. Above the TVs, there's a pull-down movie screen. To the right of the TVs is a built-in jukebox holding 100 singles, wired to speakers throughout the house. The lightning bolt graphic on the wall to your right was part of Elvis's personal logo of the 70s. It's usually seen with the letters TCB and stands for taking care of business in a flash, the motto for Elvis and his entourage. To the left of the TVs is Elvis's stereo and a small part of his large record collection. Guests were often surprised to learn that Elvis listened to almost everything. Gospel, country, rock and roll, pop, rhythm and blues, even opera. He would sneak down to the basement in the early morning and listen to records. I can honestly say that Elvis truly appreciated other people's talent. I think it all goes back to that spirit Elvis had when he sang a song. Whenever he heard that spirit, that soul, in another performer, it inspired him. Now let's turn around and walk past the stairs into the pool room. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. The pool room was also a gathering place for Elvis and his buddies. Over 350 yards of colorful fabric are pleated and draped over the walls and ceiling. It's a long way from the Nicola game pool halls Elvis and his friends played in growing up. There were a lot of games of eight ball and rotation and a whole lot of joking around. That tear in the far right corner of the pool table was made by one of the guys when he tried a trick shot and missed. Elvis liked to play pool, but for him, the best part was just hanging out with the guys. It was quite a group. Some of them were family and some were friends since high school. They were with Elvis from the very beginning, and a couple of them met him later in the army. Their friendship meant a lot to Elvis, and they were always there for him, whether it be at home at Graceland, traveling on tour, even on vacation. It was like packing up Graceland and taking it on the road. Now, let's walk to your right, through the hall and up the stairs to the jungle room. Please hold on to the handrail and watch your step. When you reach the jungle room, please move down the hallway as far as you can. This area was an open-air porch when Elvis bought Graceland, and in the mid-60s, he closed it in to make a family room. One day in the mid-70s, Elvis was out driving around Memphis and saw this furniture in a store window. Within minutes, he bought the entire display and had it moved to Graceland. The large chair at the left end of the room was too big to fit in any of the doors, so a nearby window was removed to load it in. 
That chair became one of his daughter Lisa Marie's favorite places for a nap. There's also an indoor waterfall at the left end of the room. Friends say that Elvis chose this exotic look because it reminded him of Hawaii, one of his favorite places to work and vacation. That green shag carpet on the floor and ceiling was a 70s decorating trend, and it also absorbed sound. That made it a good place for recording, and Elvis held several recording sessions here in 1976. Seems like it's dragging a little bit now for me. It's a walking disaster area. <laughs> okay, go! <laughs> a mobile recording truck pulled up outside, the musicians and backup singers set up around the room, and Elvis sang on a handheld microphone like he did on stage. The sessions would last into the early morning hours, and sometimes Elvis would use the studio trick of changing the color of the light bulbs to match the mood of the songs. He recorded the album from Elvis Presley Boulevard, Memphis, Tennessee, here in the Jungle Room, and six songs from Moody Blue, his last album. Now, let's go out to the backyard, walk down the hall, and at the end, turn right and go out the back door. Now, let's take a look at Graceland's backyard. This is where Elvis, his family, and friends relaxed, out of sight of all the fans at the front gate. Elvis bought the swing set for his daughter, Lisa Marie, but Lisa wasn't the only one playing in the backyard. There were hot and heavy touch football games and all kinds of races and everything from souped-up golf carts to snowmobiles. Around New Year's, Elvis and the guys would have big fireworks battles, shooting Roman candles at each other. Once, a shot went right into the stockpile of fireworks, and the whole thing went up in a spectacular explosion the neighbors would never forget. This area, under the roof, was the carport, where Elvis parked his famous collection of cars and motorcycles. Today, you can see many of them in the Elvis Automobile Museum, in the plaza across the street. In a minute, we'll go into Vernon Presley's office at the end of the walkway. There, Vernon managed Elvis's personal affairs, and secretaries handled the thousands of pieces of fan mail and gifts that poured in. When he returned from the Army in 1960, Elvis met the press in this office. Inside, you'll see a short video of that press conference. The video runs continuously, and you're welcome to stay and see any part you may have missed. As you enter, turn off your acoustic guide, then start it up again when the video's over. Our next stop is through the back door. Once, this area was a smokehouse. Elvis used it for storage and then converted the second room into a makeshift firing range. Elvis would set up an ammunition table out in the backyard, and he and the guys would shoot through the doorway at the target. But like so many of Elvis's hobbies, this one came and went. Before long, he was on to riding, and horses took over Graceland. As you leave the smokehouse, turn left and walk over to the pasture fence. Let's enjoy the view as Priscilla remembers Graceland's horses. It all started with a horse that Elvis surprised me with for my 21st birthday. His name was Domino. Then the search was on to find one for him. And we finally found 
the most handsome, powerful Palomino called Rising Sun. But that wasn't enough for Elvis. As always, he wanted everybody to join in the fun. So before we knew it, there were 14 horses, one for everyone in the group. And then when Lisa was old enough, he bought her a pony so that she could ride with us. That was probably the happiest I ever saw Elvis. He was a very good rider, and he developed a real passion for horses. Now, follow the walkway leading to the trophy room. On the way, I'll fill you in on the history of this wing of Graceland. Elvis built a large patio here right after he moved into Graceland in 1957. In the 60s, he closed in the patio and put in a giant electric slot car track with remote-controlled cars. As soon as he got his fill of this hobby, he turned the building into a trophy room to hold the amazing amount of awards, trophies, and memorabilia that was collecting here at Graceland. While this is Elvis's original trophy room, the Graceland staff has redesigned the interior into a museum. It's a fascinating journey through Elvis's life and career, full of unforgettable symbols of a young boy's dream come true. Remember, you can stop your tape anytime in the trophy room to ask a question or just to take your time looking around. Now turn off your tape, but do remember to turn it back on as soon as you are inside the trophy room. As you enter the trophy room, we'll begin immediately to the right. Elvis Aaron Presley came into the world on January 8, 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi. He was born at home in a two-room shotgun house, the son of Gladys and Vernon Presley. His twin brother, Jesse Guerin, was stillborn, and Elvis grew up as an only child, the center of his parents' lives. When he was almost 14, the Presleys moved to Memphis in search of a better life. Elvis went to Humes High School, sang in church, listened to black blues singers on Beale Street, and was a regular at the black and white gospel sings downtown. After high school, he worked at several jobs and drove a delivery truck for Crown Electric Company while studying to become an electrician. In the summer of 1953, he paid $4 to make a demonstration recording as a step toward his dream of being a singer. Shadows make me blue when each weary day is through. Everything was soon to change. How I long to now turn around to the opposite wall and Elvis's Sun Records days. Sam Phillips owned the studio where Elvis made that first demo. He heard something special in the inexperienced young singer. Sam put Elvis together with guitarist Scotty Moore and bass player Bill Black. Elvis's first record came out on Sam Phillips' Sun Records label in the summer of 1954. Well, that's all right, Mama. Elvis and his band toured throughout the South as Sun released five Elvis singles in all. The last one, I forgot to remember to forget, with its flip side, Mystery Train, reached number one on the country record charts. In the fall of 55, Elvis signed with a new manager, Colonel Tom Parker, and Parker quickly moved him to RCA Records. 1956 was the year it all broke open for Elvis. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lone Street, that's 
His first RCA single, Heartbreak Hotel, and his first album both spent many weeks at number one on the pop charts and became Elvis's first million-selling records. Among his other hits were Don't Be Cruel and Hound Dog. You ain't nothing but a Two number one songs on the same single. For this single, he got five gold records all at once. Elvis began to appear on some of the top national TV shows. This new medium brought his unforgettable live performances to millions and made him a star across America. When Elvis appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show for the third and final time, censors allowed him to be shown only from the waist up. Fans went wild when Elvis first appeared in the gold LeMay suit in the next case, and it became one of our lasting images of him. With all of his recording and television success, Elvis the Rebel was becoming a force in American culture. Elvis, Scotty, Bill, drummer DJ Fontana, and backup singers the Jordanaires played across the country for more and more ecstatic fans. But with all the success, there came controversy. While young people, especially the ladies, were crazy for Elvis, some folks didn't approve of his sound. Rhythm and blues, pop, country, and gospel all rolled up into one powerful style. And to some in the conservative 1950s, his body movements seemed wild and suggestive. At first, the reactions caught Elvis by surprise. First time that I appeared on stage, and it scared me to death. I really didn't know what the yelling was about. I didn't realize that my body was moving. It was a natural thing to me. You know? So the manager backstage, I said, what I do, what I do? And he said, well, whatever it is, go back and do it again. <laughs> there came to be two shows at every Elvis concert, the one on stage and the one in the audience. Scotty Moore remembers those days. The crowds have gotten very large. The crowd gets so loud, the best way I can describe it is like when you dive into the water and you hear the uh, rush of the water, and it would get so loud that it would just cancel out all the sound on stage. If we couldn't hear him, we'd know where he was at by his body language. The huge success of Elvis's concerts, records, and TV appearances was quickly noticed by Hollywood. Elvis had always dreamed of being an actor, and his first movie came out in the fall of 1956. Love me tender, love me sweet. It was a box office smash. At the left of the doorway is the poster for Love Me Tender. It was quickly followed in 1957 by the equally successful films Loving You and the classic Jailhouse Rock. Elvis was proudest of his fourth movie, King Creole. Many critics, and Elvis himself, felt that King Creole was his finest acting performance. As Elvis became a major movie star, his recording career soared higher and higher. You'll see just how high through the door in the Hall of Gold. On the left of the doorway as you enter is a case that holds honors from the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. Fourteen Grammy nominations and three Grammy Awards. One for the gospel album, He Touched Me, and two for recordings of How Great Thou Art. Above them is the Lifetime Achievement Award the Academy presented to Elvis in 1971 when he was 36 years old. As you make your way down the Hall of Gold, you'll see many of Elvis's gold and platinum singles and albums. 
He's won gold and platinum awards for at least 111 different albums and singles in America. He was also a major international star, and this display includes many of his record awards from around the world. Important to note is that although Elvis was known as the king of rock and roll, his career also encompassed outstanding achievements in pop, country, gospel, and rhythm and blues. It's estimated that Elvis has sold more than one billion records worldwide, more than anyone in the history of recorded music. If you laid all those albums and singles end to end, they'd circle the earth twice, and then some. Selling all of those records earned Elvis a whole lot of money. He loved to share his incredible success with those less fortunate, and donated large amounts to charity every year. The big plaque at the end of the hall was presented to Elvis on behalf of many of the Memphis area charities he regularly supported. But most of his gifts were given privately, with no formal recognition, which was the way he wanted it. Now let's walk through the door to the Army display and catch up with Elvis's military career. In March of 1958, Elvis was drafted into the U.S. Army. His long hair and sideburns were replaced by a G.I. crew cut. He traded his cat clothes for regulation fatigues and became Private Presley, 2nd Armored Division, Fort Hood, Texas. Later that year, his mother Gladys was admitted to a Memphis hospital with acute hepatitis. Elvis rushed home on emergency leave, and Gladys Presley died on August 14, 1958. Elvis was devastated. Only a few weeks later, he shipped out for Germany with the 3rd Armored Division, and he was stationed there for the next year and a half. In the summer of 1959... Elvis met the beautiful daughter of an Air Force officer, Priscilla Ann Bollier, and they began spending a lot of time together. He obviously wasn't a regular recruit, but Elvis was a regular soldier. The other soldiers give you a rough time because you're famous. No, sir, I was very surprised. Uh, I, I've never met a, a better group of boys in my life. They probably would have if it had been like everybody thought. I mean, everybody thought I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't have to work, and I would uh, be given special treatment and this and that. But when they looked around and saw I was I was on KP and I was fully in guard and everything just like they were, well, they figured, well, he's just like us. Elvis, by then a sergeant, was discharged from the Army in March of 1960. As you can see in the next case, he immediately recaptured his movie stardom. G.I. Blues, released later that year, was a major hit and the soundtrack album held the number one spot on the Billboard charts for 10 weeks, staying on the charts for over two years. Blue Hawaii was even more successful. Among the other hit films were Girls, Girls, Girls and Viva Las Vegas. Displayed here are items relating to Elvis's movies. Many of them followed what had become the Elvis Presley movie formula. Lots of songs, lots of girls, a fight or two, and Elvis, steaming up the screen as the romantic matinee idol. This formula was incredibly successful. Elvis made 31 movies as an actor, 27 of them in the 60s. 
he became the highest paid star in the film business. Meanwhile, Elvis's personal life was changing in important ways. On May 1st, 1967, he married Priscilla, his real-life leading lady. And February 1st of 68, their daughter Lisa Marie was born. She brought a new sense of happiness to her parents and to Graceland. In the summer of 1968, Elvis reached a turning point in his career, taping a television special that was aired that December called simply Elvis. It was his first appearance before a live audience in over seven years. Elvis took it seriously. He got into top shape, he rehearsed hard, and he created a whole new look, from a skin-tight black leather outfit to the burgundy suit. Both are in the next showcase beside the guitar. This triumphant special was one of the most watched programs of 1968 and was a critical smash. There were a couple of big production numbers, but the heart of the show featured Elvis jamming with some old friends. He was relaxed and rocking like he hadn't in years. Elvis was back on stage, where he belonged. When Elvis came back, he came back strong. Early in 1969, he recorded in Memphis for the first time since the Sun Records days, completing two albums worth of material, including the classics Suspicious Minds, In the Ghetto, and Kentucky Rain. Many consider this Elvis's best work since the 1950s. The next case spotlights his triumphant return to the concert stage in 1969 and 70. On July 31, 1969, Elvis debuted his new stage show with a four-week, 57-show engagement at the International Hotel in Las Vegas. The show broke all Vegas attendance records. At one of those shows, he explained his return. But as the years went by, I really missed the people, the audience contact. I really was getting bugged. I was doing so many movies, and I couldn't really do what I could do. Anyway, it all kept going, and I really wanted to come back, and so this is, that's why I'm here tonight. And... Elvis returned to Las Vegas in early 1970 and broke his own record, and then sold out a historic six-day stand at the Houston Astrodome. In the fall of 1970, he began touring nationally for the first time since the 50s, and his performances were as unforgettable as ever. In the display case along the wall are just a few of the things that poured into Graceland from fans all over the world. Some even sent portraits, as you can see at the end of the room. Elvis himself commissioned the large gold-and-white painting by Ralph Wolf Cowan in 1969. Across from the gold-and-white portrait is a black tuxedo. This was worn by Elvis on January 1971, when he was named one of the USJC's Ten Outstanding Young Men of the Nation for 1970. This award recognized him not only for his musical success, but for his public service, his leadership, and his generosity. As Elvis made his acceptance speech, he was visibly moved. When I was a child, ladies and gentlemen, I was a dreamer. I read comic books, and I was the hero of the comic book. I saw movies and I was the hero in the movie. So every dream that I ever dreamed has come true a hundred times. I learned very early in life that without a song, 
day will never end. Without a song, a man ain't got a friend. Without a song, the world will never bend. Without a song. So I'll keep singing the song. Good night. Of all his awards, this one meant the most to Elvis. When Elvis hit the road in the early 70s, he played to sell-out crowds across the country. His costumes became even more spectacular. Jumpsuits covered with fantastic designs, with matching capes and studded leather belts. In 1972, he played four sold-out shows in a row at New York's Madison Square Garden, another record-breaker. The constant touring also took its toll. By this time, Elvis and his wife Priscilla had separated and they divorced the next year. But their friendship and their partnership as parents continued. Elvis was at his peak in these years, with every facet of his talent and personality alive on stage. Elvis the Rocker. Oh, see, oh, see what you have done. Elvis the Romantic. Treat me like a fool. Treat me mean and cruel. Elvis the Joker. It's a very tender love song. It's a ballad. And uh, you get up into a girl's face, you know, very close. And you say, uh, Yeah! <laughs> it blows her hair straight back. You know. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Crying all the time. And Elvis. career, Elvis enjoyed collecting guns and badges, and in the wall case are just a few from his collection. Police officers and security guards were a natural part of superstardom, and Elvis enjoyed swapping stories with them. Across the country, officers returned his admiration by making him an honorary deputy, and a few times a real one. The next case on this wall holds more awards given to Elvis by civic groups, recognizing his generosity. Among these is a plaque honoring his 1961 concert in Hawaii, a benefit for the USS Arizona Memorial at Pearl Harbor. There was also a quieter side to his generosity, as Priscilla remembers. He loved to make people happy. I remember one time when the newspaper ran a story about a woman who had a wheelchair stolen. It was a Sunday morning, but Elvis still found someone who would open up his shop to sell him a wheelchair. I can still remember the look on her face when she opened the door and there was Elvis with her new wheelchair. Now let's continue with the costume displays. I never get completely comfortable with it. And I don't let the people with me get comfortable with it. And that I remind them that it's a new crowd out there. It's a new audience. They haven't seen us before. So it's got to be like the first time we go on. This period was highlighted by a benefit concert in Honolulu on January 14, 1973, that was broadcast in nearly 40 countries. With such an international audience, Elvis wanted a stage costume that said America to the world. And his designer, Bill Ballou, responded with the red, white, and blue jumpsuit on the right side of the case with a large jewel-studded eagle across the chest. 
Elvis surprised everybody at the end of the concert when he threw his matching cape and belt into the crowd. Altogether, about one and one-half billion people viewed Aloha from Hawaii. More people than watched man's first walk on the moon. The left side of this case takes a look at Elvis's long commitment to the martial arts. He received eighth-degree black belts in Kempo and Taekwondo, and his karate names were Tiger and Panther. The last case is dedicated to the final years of Elvis's career, from 1975 until his last tour in June of 1977. During these years, Elvis was not only one of the most successful touring artists, he also scored hit after hit on the country record charts. Elvis was right at home in country. I think it's fantastic. You see, country music was always a part of the influence on my type of music anyway. It's a combination of country music and gospel and rhythm and blues all combined. It's what it really was. As a child, I was influenced by all of that. The white and gold jumpsuit on the left is called the Aztec Sun. Elvis wore it for many performances during his final year, including his last concert June 26, 1977 at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis. By this time, the pressures of over 20 years of superstardom were taking their toll. Health problems and dependence on prescription medication were wearing Elvis down. But through it all, he continued to play to sold-out audiences across the country. There were times when his spirit could not overcome his infirmities. But there were many more moments when his voice was as glorious as ever. Welcome to go back and enjoy the trophy room exhibits some more, but if you're ready to leave this room, please watch your step on the stairs outside. We're heading across the outdoor walkway to the racquetball building. Stop your acoustic guide until you get there. Once you're inside the building, turn your tape back on. Elvis took up racquetball in 1975 and soon built his own court. This two-level lounge was a game room and a hangout where spectators could watch the racquetball games through the glass wall. Upstairs, there are dressing rooms and a jacuzzi. Early in the morning of August 16, 1977, Elvis and some friends played a few games of racquetball. He had been off the road for almost two months and was excited about resuming his 1977 tour which would begin the next night in Portland, Maine. After hitting a few balls, Elvis played the piano and sang some songs for his friends, including Unchained Melody and Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. This was Elvis's last performance. About sunrise, he returned to the mansion to rest. A few hours later, a heart attack claimed his life. Elvis was 42 years old. World reaction was swift and dramatic. 
Millions of people felt a loss deeper than they could explain. Their grief was both public and private, and continued for weeks. Since his death, Elvis has remained the greatest recording artist of all time. Now let's go into the racquetball court to see the gold and platinum records that dramatically represent the achievements of a lifetime and beyond. Please hold on to the handrail and watch your step on the way. The three-minute video on the historic presentation of these awards runs continuously, so we hope you'll stay until you've seen the entire program. Stop your acoustic guide as you watch the video, and turn it back on as you leave the building. Before we enter the meditation garden to visit Elvis's gravesite, let's pause for a moment along the walk to remember a very special man. Elvis Presley achieved many of the dreams of his childhood. He became the voice of a generation, and his music changed the world. But throughout his life, Elvis still searched, as we all do, struggling to understand this world and his place in it. The heart of his search was in his songs, and sometimes in his words. There was a guy who said one time, you never stood in that man's shoes or saw things through his eyes, or stood and watched with helpless hands while the heart inside you dies. So help your brother along the way, no matter where he starts. But the same God that made you, made him too these men with broken hearts. Elvis built his meditation garden as a place to be by himself, to thank. Today he lies here with his mother and father and his grandmother, Minnie Mae Presley, a close-knit family, together. There's a memorial marker for his stillborn twin, Jesse Guerin, who is buried in Tupelo, Mississippi. Elvis dreamed the great American dream, of fame and fortune shared with his family and friends. It came true here at Graceland. His life and his music still inspire people everywhere. Of all people, Elvis Presley knew the power of dreams. There must be lights burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher in a sky more blue. If I can dream of a better land Where all my brothers walk hand in hand Tell me why, oh why, oh why Can't my dream come true Oh why There must be peace and understanding Sometimes Strong winds of promise that will blow away the doubt and fear. If I can dream of a warmer sun where hope keeps shining on everyone, tell me why. Trouble! 
question Still I am sure That the answer's Answer's gonna come Somehow Out there in the dark Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed your tour and that you'll come back and see us. Now turn off your acoustic guide for the last time, and we'll collect it when the shuttle returns you to the plaza.